This is my last message of Mark Matters today. It's, uh, Mark is uh, the, one of the four Gospels, and he is, wrote the shortest Gospel, and he often got directly to the point. And today, Mark gets directly to the point in teaching about a, different, a difficult subject. And it's a subject that not he is teaching really about, but Jesus is teaching about. And so we find ourselves in Mark chapter 10, and uh, I, I, I'm going to share a little bit more about my struggle with preaching this message. But for now, I just want to share that I believe it's a relevant message. 2,000 years ago, it was relevant in their time and day, and actually it's been going on for centuries before that. Divorce has always been something that has been a part of our society and part of who we are, and it's relevant to who we are today. You don't have to take a very long Google search to find out today that 50% of, of marriages end in divorce still today, and that the fallout from divorce is just devastating. Uh, many of you in this room, because of the percentages, have experienced this pain. And, and many of you know, that, and we all know, because we've all been impacted by divorce, whether we've been divorced or not, we've all been impacted by it. We all know this. No one wins in divorce. The family dynamics change. Holidays change. Birthdays change. How we parent change. Everything changes in divorce. And, and we think so oftentimes that different ones, who's impacted the worst or who, who feels it the most. And surprising, it may surprise you to find out that one of the studies I was looking at this week, that men are more than twice as likely to suffer from post-divorce depression than women. Anxiety and hypertension are common among men after divorce. Why is that? Well, three reasons. One is women tend to be more intimately connected in relationships, and they develop a support system around themselves. And I find many times in the church, uh, there's more single moms than there's single dads because they're connecting themselves with other people. And oftentimes, the, not all, all the time, it's not always, but oftentimes the, the woman is the developer of those relationships. And so when those relationships, when that relationship separates, it's the women that is left supported, and the man is, is not. The second reason is men are notoriously, notoriously less likely to seek professional help. And we won't, get, we won't get see doctors. I mean, we'll, we'll have chest pain and heart pain, but we won't go see a doctor. We will, we won't, um, we're less likely to go see professional Christian counselors. We're less likely to even reach out to friends and family. We just kind of hold it up inside. And men typically, uh, third thing is, men typically don't get to see their children as much as they used to. The weekend dad can be devastating. I was just talking with a pastor friend last month of mine that lives in another state, and I was talking with him about, he was telling me about his brother who just died a couple years ago. And he goes, many people would say that he died of alcoholism, but I believe my brother died of a broken heart. Uh, it was decisions he'd made much younger and decisions that he owned up to, but it broke his heart to hear another man knowing that another man each night was tucking his little girls in at night. And he goes, I really believe my brother died of a broken heart. And before I go on, if I'm completely honest, I didn't want to preach this today, and I still don't want to preach it now. This is not the most exciting subject, but it's where the text found me in Mark chapter 10. If you've been with us the last 12 weeks, I've had a longer than normal sermon series. Usually there are six to eight weeks. 
and this one has been 12 weeks. This is number 12. We've covered chapters 1 through 9 really well. Chapter 11 was Palm Sunday when Jesus came in, and then chapter 16 was Jesus' resurrection, and every between those two chapters leads to the resurrection. So we found ourselves in chapter 10 today, and as I was looking at chapter 10, I was like, that's the first thing that popped out. I was like, I don't want to preach this. In fact, I went down a little bit halfway, and you'll see the next story is the little children and Jesus. And I said, that's the message I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach about the little children and Jesus, because almost everyone loves little children, and almost everyone loves Jesus. There's not really any problems with those two things. And we could have gone here feeling, going away here feeling really good today, which my goal is not for you to go away feeling bad today. Don't get me wrong. But we could have gone going with the warm fuzzies, talking about Jesus and the little children. But I just was on chapter 10, verse 1, and I knew the Lord was saying, I don't care. This is where you are to stay today. and You don't even need to go any farther. You're going to stay in chapter 10, these first few verses. And it's just hard for me to preach this. And I'll tell you why it's hard. Because you just heard Kyle said, after seven years... As your pastor, which we're so blessed, but after seven years of your pastor, you're friends now. I'm vested. I have skin in the game. Your relationships are, I'm not some guest speaker up here talking to you without emotion that I, I don't know any of you and I don't know what's going on in your lives, but it's hard because I do know you and because you are friends. Some of you are deep personal friends. I've watched and I'm watching some of you now go through the pain of separation and divorce. I've watched some of you and I'm watching some of you heroically raise your little ones uh, as a single mom, as a single dad, picking up the pieces left behind from the pain of divorce. And I'm so grateful that this is a good place for single moms and single dads to know that you have a place, that this church loves you and supports you and is there to wrap their arms of love around you. But it's deeply personal because some of you are my friends, are contemplating divorce or are separated right now. So I can't preach this platonically. I can't preach this without emotion. I'm vested. I have a stake in this. I have something to lose. I stand to lose something. We all stand to lose something. Divorce is not something that just impacts two people. It impacts everyone. Because it's never the same after divorce. I'm just being real this morning. It's never the same after divorce. After my friends or after our friends divorce, one or both stop going to church. At least to this church. One or both stop going to church altogether. Some of you here this morning have found our church because you left another church because of divorce. And you found it nearly impossible, understandably, to find healing in your last church because there was just too many things that, you know, that brought everything together, too many reminders. And I'm so thankful today if, if you've come to our church because you couldn't heal in your last church because of, I'm so thankful that you're here today. I believe this is the best place you can be, and God wants to bring healing into your life. And I'm thankful for couples that have left our church or individuals left our church to go to another church. I'm thankful that they didn't run from the church. I'm thankful that they stayed in the church. They found the church of a place to not for the healthy and the wealthy, and the health, but for the sick and the broken and those who need. This is a, this is a hospital. It's, it's not a country club. And so I've, I found it that sometimes it's impossible for 
people to heal in one place, and so understandably they go to another. You see, your divorce is not just your divorce. It's everyone's divorce. It's your friend's divorce. It's your co-worker's divorce. It's your kid's divorce. It's your church's divorce. Because it's not the same. Yes, we love everyone and there's a place of grace, but it's just never the same. It's, it's the same way when someone leaves the church. It's just never the same. I've been here seven years now. We've had plenty of people leave the church. It's not the same. I, we, we love and respect one another, and I'll run into people at the grocery store that no longer attend here, and we love one another, and we have respect for one another, but it's just not the same. The fellowship isn't the same. It doesn't mean there's not love or there's not respect or not wishing the other well. It's just not the same. So I spent all this time telling you why I don't want to preach this message. So is there any good to come from this today? To the question, should I divorce? Is there any hope? Where is the take home today? Or here's the question I would ask this morning is, what do I hope you will take home with you today? What do I hope you will take home with you today? Now, this is regardless if you're married or not married, divorced, single, widowed, um, young person, old person. What do I hope you will take home with you today? The first thing is this. I hope you will take home grace and truth. I pray that you will take grace and truth with you. Wherever you find yourself today, even if you're divorced or going through divorce, I hope and pray you will find that this is a place to experience God's grace. A grace that none of us deserve, but that all of us need. I hope you'll find the church as a place to experience grace, as a place to, to be a hospital, to be a place to find healing. I also pray that you'll find truth, truth that we don't like to hear, but truth that will set us free. And I had a couple quotes that I came across at this point, and I couldn't decide which one, so I'm just going to do all three. Because grace without truth is meaningless, truth without grace is mean. Or truth without grace is condemnation, but grace without truth is compromise. And then truth without grace is not really truth, and grace without truth is not really grace. I pray today that all of us leave here with grace and truth. John chapter 1, Jesus came full of grace and truth. He didn't come with 50% truth and 50% grace. He came full of grace and full of truth. And I'm thankful it came in that order, as I heard recently, because if we didn't get grace, we'd never be open to the truth. But once we receive grace, we also need to be open to the truth. And the truth is this, we're all sinners. We're all broken. We've all messed up. We all are in need of grace and his forgiveness. So, and he offers it freely through his death on the cross. So the first thing, I hope grace and truth. Secondly, I hope you'll leave here with hope. I hope you will leave here with a greater sense of of hope today. To live, to live, um, they say you need air, water, and food to live. I think there's one more thing you need to live that is essential that you can't make it without it very long. You can't make it without hope. We need food, we need air, we need water, but when a person loses hope, they lose the will to live, they lose the desire to live. Hope is essential. 
when we get just a little bit of hope, uh, just a little bit. And I pray today something that the Holy Spirit, that God will speak in such a way that if you came in here hopeless today or feeling like defeated, that you will leave here with a little bit of hope because a little bit of hope goes a long ways and possibilities open up. The third thing I hope you'll leave here today with is, is this, God's perspective. God's perspective, not my perspective. You don't need a, my perspective. You don't need another pastor's perspective. I don't want you to leave here with your perspective. I want you to leave with God's perspective. My prayer is that you'll leave here with God's perspective because that is the best perspective. And so we dive in to Mark chapter 2 to the message I did not want to preach, verse 1 and 2. Jesus then left that place and then went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, the crowds came to him, and he, as was his custom, he taught them. Jesus was always teaching. And the Scripture teaches us about every single subject under the sun. There is not anything that the Scriptures don't teach us about. There's nothing that Jesus didn't teach about. Well, Jesus might have been teaching about something else, but he listened to a question that came next, and it redirected where he was going to teach. I don't know if he planned on teaching this way, but his teaching changed. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The Pharisees, as they always were, were looking to catch Jesus in a trap. They wanted to incriminate him. They wanted to cause a division amongst the ranks. They wanted to cause an uproar, a, a, a rising. And they might have been trying to cause a contradiction by asking him about the, the law of Moses found in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. If you go back to the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, it says if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, ladies, you should hate every single word of this so far. Um, this is the Old Testament. You should be thankful to be living under New Testament, not Old Testament, under the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant, because ladies in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, your voice did not matter. Your voice did not count. Only the men. You could not divorce. Only the man could decide. It was really messed up. I'm thankful Jesus came. And he writes her a certificate of divorce gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man. And her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, give it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then her first husband who divorces her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. This is Old Testament, Old Covenant. All the Pharisees agreed that divorce was permissible. They agreed from the law of Moses, so they all agreed. Uh, they all agreed that divorce was permissible. They all agreed that it was a man to initiate it, that a woman could not initiate divorce. And, and the third is that it implied that you could remarry. So they all agreed on that, no matter what they were. But there was two camps of the religious leader and the Pharisees. There was a conservative camp and there was a liberal camp. Just like we have conservatives and liberals today, there was a conservative camp that said, you know, only by uh, adultery, um, only by unfaithfulness can you leave your spouse. And the other camp, the more liberal camp, was like, well, there's really any reason that the man can leave his wife. And so Jesus... Knowing this, ask them the question. Jesus asked them about the Mosaic Law. And going back to verse 3, get back to where I am in case I lose my spot. Verse 3, 
Jesus said, what did Moses command you? What did Moses command you? He's like, he's testing them. And he knows they know, but he knows where he's going. And, and so Jesus goes a little deeper, and they answer his question, but then Jesus answers more in depth. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was be- but Jesus replies, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. Jesus went deeper to the heart. You see, Pharisees, all they want is answers, and they just want to be right. Jesus wants relationship. You, you can pick a Pharisee even out today who they are if it's a person that just always insists that they're right, <laughs> that they know they have the, they have the, uh, they have the oh, I can't think of the right word, but they have the corner on the market of truth. And they're, they're right. They're just interested in being right. Jesus was more than interested about being right. He was interested in having a relationship. The Pharisees wanted to just get by and meet the minimum requirements. Jesus, Jesus wants us to thrive, and he wanted them to thrive. And this was a matter of Jesus was interested in the matter of the heart where the Pharisees were just interested in the letter of the law. Jesus, we know that he, he raised the level. He didn't, he didn't diminish things. We know that in the Old Testament law, it says do not murder, do not commit adultery. It says love your neighbor. Uh, Jesus said, no, we go another step. Jesus said, if you, if you lust after a woman in your mind, you've committed adultery in your heart. That makes most of us adulterers in here. Jesus said, and I don't know why my phone's ringing right now. Hey, Reagan, can I talk to you later? I didn't mean to have you on my phone, but I'm right in the middle of a message. Okay, love you. All right, bye. That never happens. Hopefully things are okay. She can call her mother. So I usually have my phone off, so I apologize on that one. I want to make sure things are okay. I thought she knew I'd be preaching right now. but <laughs> So J- Jesus took it another level. And he said, if you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart. And Jesus said, I don't want you just to love those who love you and love your neighbor. Anyone can do that. You don't have to be a Christian to love people that like you. He said, no, but I've called you to a higher standard. You're to love your enemies. You're to pray for those who persecute you. Jesus calls us to a different standard. Even in the area of giving, the, the Pharisees were so proud of themselves because they, they tithed and, and they gave exactly what was required of them. But Jesus, Jesus raised the level of everything. He's like, I'm not interested in legalistic things. I'm interested in raising the level. But here's the problem with that. Jesus raised the level to unattainable standards because by his standards, we've all committed adultery. We've all murdered We've all fallen and broken the the law of not loving others the way that Jesus loves. We've broken every single law. That's the truth. The good news is the grace of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, forgives us of, of our sins. There's the truth that we're sinners, but there's the grace that he forgives us. That's truth. That's grace. That's the beauty of it. Paul said it a different way. You know, this was a concession Jesus was saying, it was because of your hearts that were hard. Moses wrote you this law. Moses didn't want to write this law. 
Moses was left with no other choice. Chaos was breaking out in the camp and in the family of God, and he said, okay, we got to do something about this. So this was not the desire of God's heart. This was a concession of man. And Moses said, in order for us to make it and get along, we got to have some laws in place. And in the New Testament, Paul said, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Friends, just because you can doesn't mean you shouldn't. Just because you can doesn't mean you shouldn't. The Mosaic law was a concession. It was a compromise. Jesus goes to, to the heart of the matter. He goes deeper and he said, this is what Moses said, but Jesus is above Moses. Here's what Jesus said, what was the intent. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God made marriage. And Jesus reminded us for a greater and bigger purpose. Marriage is so much more than about procreating and populating the earth. Marriage is so much more than, than sex or gratification or our happiness. Marriage is a deeper and more meaningful purpose that God had in mind, and that meaning was that we were meant to reflect the image of God. Our marriages are meant to reflect the image of who God is and who Christ is. And it's why those who are part of and love the Bachelor Nation or Bachelorette Nation, whatever you call yourselves, and, and watch all the shows, uh, they, they all end, most of them bad, except for one or two. Why? Because they found their marriage on the wrong question. The, mar the marriage question for the believer, for the Christian is, how can this make me more like Jesus? How can I honor you? How can I bring glory to your name? But in, in, the, in the Bachelor shows, it's all about, you hear the question over and over, does she make you happy? Does he make you happy? Oh, that's a great place to start. If, she, if he or she can just make you happy, that's a great foundation for a marriage because that lasts for five seconds. Because there are days that we don't feel happy. There are times when I've said to my wife, come on, Heather, don't you love me? She's like, love has nothing to do with this. I love you, but I don't like you right now. You, you remember the great Billy Graham, his wife was asked one time, have you ever thought about divorce? She says, not one time, not never. Murder, yes, divorce, never. <laughs> Marriage is hard. It's not always happy. I would love to tell you, those of you who are here a week ago, that Heather and I had that argument the previous week, and it was a doozy, and I would love to say that was the last one. I don't know if God's just trying to humble me, but we had a good one yesterday. Come on, Lord. This is a place to share truth, but also to receive His grace. It's a place to remind us that what if God didn't design, and I have a book on my shelf, I haven't read it yet, but the title alone, the undertitle of it is, what if God designed marriage to make you holy rather than happy? Holy is to be set apart, to be holy as God is holy, not, not that we'll be perfect, but that our marriages are meant to reflect so much more. Genesis 1, 26, 27, in the very beginning, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were created in his image. And verse uh, 2, verse 24 says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother, and he's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. We are meant to reflect the oneness of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Our marriage is meant to be a reflection of who God is. It's, it's so much more. And I'm not an anti-happy guy. I, I like it when my marriage is happy a lot more than when it's not. not. I, I'm, I'm going to confess that. You do too. But I believe the more we focus on his holiness and the more that we want our marriage to bring a, a God-honoring that, that represents Christ in the world... As, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, For we are members of his body. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm not talking. I'm talking about Christ and the church. He was talking about marriage, yes, but what he's really talking about, this is a reflection of Christ and his church. Our marriages are meant to reflect the goodness and the glory of God. It's meant to reflect Christ and his riches, Christ and his church. Get the opportunity different times to do pre-marriage counseling. Got to do it several times this last couple years. I'm getting to do it right now with Pastor Aaron and Stephanie. And let me just tell you, you need to get to know Stephanie. She's way, if you like Pastor Aaron, she's way better than Pastor Aaron. He is marrying up. He is marrying up. Actually, Pastor Aaron's awesome too, but um, they haven't got this question yet. But one of the questions that I, 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 somewhere near the end of the marriage counseling, the question comes up, how is your marriage going to build the church? How is your marriage going to build the church? How is your marriage going to reflect Christ in this world? Because for a believer, for a Christian, our marriage is meant to reflect Christ in the church. If that's not your desire or hope, you can go to any judge, any law, law office probably. A, a, we have lawyers in our church. They can probably marry you. They're probably licensed and can do that. But we're meant for so much more than that. Your oneness, your togetherness is meant to reflect Christ in the world. Your marriage is meant to benefit others. It's meant to benefit others and to advance his kingdom. So the disciples, they were wrestling with this. And as they wrestled with this question, they got alone with Jesus. And when they got alone with Jesus, they, they went back to this because they were thinking about this. And so that when they were alone, when they were in the house again... Alone with Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Jesus simply lays it out. What is Jesus saying? Divorce is a sin. Divorce is a sin. That's not my opinion. That's not what I think. That's not my persuasion. That's what Jesus says. What about adultery? Well, Matthew went a little farther. I told you uh, Mark goes straight to the point. The same uh, message in Matthew is shared and he goes a little farther. It says, Matthew describes it a little bit farther. He said, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What does that mean for 50% of us that are in this room and watching online and you're divorced? It means you sinned. It means you've broken God's law. It means you've broken God's heart. What do we do with that? What does that mean? Just like every other sin. It's just like every other sin. There's no degrees of sin. It's just like every other sin. Every single one of us has sinned in this, in this room. Every one of us has broken the heart of God. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The truth is we're all sinners. We've all committed sin. So what do we do with that? It's what we do with all the other sins. We ask Jesus to forgive us. We repent of our sins. Doesn't matter if it's adultery, doesn't matter if it's anything else. We ask God to forgive us and repent of our sins and receive the wonderful grace of God through Jesus. The grace that we don't, none of us deserve, but all of us need. So if you're here today and you find yourself divorced, you came to this church to heal from a divorce from the last church, it's a great place. It's a great place to receive grace. That God loves you, that he died on a cross for you. And I would tell you today, it's going to be hard, but better days are ahead. God's got you. God loves you. There's things I've done in my life that I still have consequences for the rest of my life. It just is. But God loves me, and he's got better days ahead for you. So if you find yourself and you're in that place, you're divorced today, you're in a great place. Welcome to the family of God. It's messy. This is a great place to find love and grace and forgiveness and a family that wants to help you raise your kids and the difficulty it can be to be a single mom or a single dad. What about where you might be saying, we're not divorced, but my husband or wife cheated on me. Should I, can I divorce them? You can. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. If there's been true repentance and the person's truly sorry, you have grounds for divorce, but I would argue that it's not necessarily the best decision. If there's true repentance and there's a desire for reconciliation, I've seen God make beauty out of ashes. I remember growing up in Greeley, Colorado in a church where I remember Charlie, and I won't say his wife because then, you know, this is a small world, things will get back, but I, I didn't know this till I was an adult that Charlie and his wife and I knew the other couple too, they had had an affair in my dad's church. They had, they had they got messed up with each other's spouses. One couple, it completely led to a divorce. Now, in God's grace, God's done some good things in their life. But the other couple, through repentance and counseling, they're together today with kids and grandkids. They have a wonderful marriage. God has done wonderful things. Your last thing doesn't have to define you. The, the thing you, you're ashamed of the most doesn't have to be the thing that marks you forever. Because of the marks of Jesus' hands on the cross and his nail-pierced feet and his, his side that was pierced for us, those are the marks. Those are the marks that will carry you through. You can come out stronger on the other side. Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. My favorite movie this year, 
Redeeming Love. It was in the theaters a month or two ago. If you haven't seen it, you need to rent it. Every believer, every Christian needs to see Redeeming Love. Based on the story of Hosea in the Old Testament, where God instructed Hosea, a pastor, priest, to go marry a harlot, to go marry a prostitute, and to buy her, and to make her his own. And then she leaves him again, and she prostitutes more, and he goes and he buys her back. And that's because God instructed him, hey, pastor, you're going to live with a prostitute. That's the way you're going to bring honor and glory to God, because it's so important that you do this, because my people, Israel, my Jewish, my Jewish people, they have been the harlot. They have been unfaithful to me. They've been unfaithful to me. They've turned their back on me. They've committed adultery against me. And to show you the extent of my love, I want you to show that love and buy Hosea back because that's what I'm going to do for my people. I'm going to buy them back. I'm going to pay for the, their sins of death on a cross. All their sins are going to be washed away. And they're going to be unfaithful to me again. But every time, there's going to be a place that they can come back to because I'm going to buy them back. If I have to buy them back over and over and over again, I'm going to buy my people back because they may be unfaithful, but I can't be untrue to myself. I'm a faithful God. And I'm going to love my people. That's the good news this morning. That's, that's the hope that I hope you'll take away because this is more than about marriage. This is about us committing adultery against God. Every single one of us have broken God's heart. Every single one of us has sinned in ways that some of us have things that we would want to tell others. But God sent his son to pay for our sins and to die for our shame. What about if I'm divorced? If I'm not, what about if I'm not divorced but I'm separated right now? What's Jesus saying? Jesus, I believe, says no. Don't divorce. Those aren't my words. Those are his words. I give a pass for if there's domestic abuse. No one should be in a situation where there's a threat to them or their children, to their safety. But if you're in a place and you're contemplating, I'd say get counseling. Get help. Heather and I have been to marriage counseling. There's nothing wrong with it. Married people get counseling. Pastors get counseling. My mom and dad serve in a ministry in Branson where there's a focus on the family. It's for intensive counseling. It's a week's worth of counseling in, in a year. And, and people go there because they, they invest in their marriage and they have an 85 to 90% success rate. Marriages that are on the brink of utter disaster and they walk up. My, my, my parents once a month say they get to watch miracle after miracle of God performing miracles before their eyes couples that are not sleeping together, not in the same room, come separately, leaving together. Because God wants to do and can still do great things. But I can't say, yes, go, go, go ahead and do it and just ask for forgiveness. That wouldn't be good counsel on my part. One time, Heather's sister came home in high school and her parents made her burn this shirt. But it said, sin now, pray later. <laughs> I can't tell you to sin now and pray later. Will God forgive? Yes, he will. But there's two kinds of marriages I believe here today. Not the good, not the great, not the bad. It's the marriage you're either working at it or you're not. 
There's times that Heather and I are working at it and there's times that we're, we don't work as hard at it. I just will leave you with this question today. What if God designed your marriage to make you holy rather than happy? What if God designed your marriage even in the midst of adultery? What if he designed it to be a reflection of his grace that he's given to us when we've all committed adultery against God? What, what if he took what you uh, thought was your worst thing and he turned it into a power uh, in, in your weakness, he became strong and it displayed his majesty and his glory? What could God do if you gave it to him this morning? I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I didn't know how I was going to end this service. Honestly, I still don't. I'm just going to ask the lights to go down. I know we have another service coming in here in a minute, but I want to let God do what he wants to do. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, the lights down, please. I don't care if we're late. I don't care if this runs into the next service right now. It's more important that God does what he wants to do here. And I believe this in my heart of hearts because scripture tells us God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace unleashed when we humble ourselves. And one of the ways we humble ourselves sometimes is we just simply kneel at an altar. And I'm not going to spend a long time here, and no one needs to know your business, but today you could just humble yourself and say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where this is going to go, but God, I'm just telling you, I need your help today. Maybe for a marriage, maybe for something else. But today, these altars right here open. It's just to just place quietly. Just to come to pray. Ask God to help you. It's a married couple. Just need to take each other by the hand. You just need to walk down here. You need to pray together. It doesn't mean you're going to leave here with all the answers or you know exactly where you're going to go from here, but you're just saying, God, we need your help. Husband, will you humble yourself? Wife, would you humble yourself? may want to come pray for someone else. You may want to stand in the gap, pray for a friend, pray for a couple. Heavenly Father, I know you're here this morning. I know you've been here all along. And I know you just want to shower your people today with love, with grace. You're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
You don't stand here to condemn. You stand here to forgive. You don't stand here to make the wound deeper. You stand here to help bring healing to our wounds. Father, I pray today, Lord, whether at this altar out here in this room, I'm going to trust you right now that, God, you're going to do above and beyond what I could ask or imagine, what we could ask or imagine. Lord, I pray for my friends. I have some friends watching online, I know. They're deep friends. They're personal friends. And, Lord, there's, there's struggles in their marriage today, God. I love them, God. You know I do. You know I love the marriages in this room. You know I love the marriages online. And God, the enemy wants to break the family apart. He wants to break marriages apart. He wants to bring condemnation. He wants to bring judgment. He wants to bring all things that you don't want to bring. You want to bring healing, love, grace, forgiveness. You want people to know that their best days are ahead of them, not behind for that person going through divorce right now, that they're, they, there's, it takes two to make decisions and there's one that's wanting it, one that doesn't. Lord, I pray today that you will help that help each to experience your grace and mercy. I pray for that single mom that comes into our second service today. Recently, maybe have her husband have, have left her. Lord, would God, would you let her sense and feel your, your, your love, your, your arms wrapped around her. May they feel the embrace of your church. That this is a place that we can come and know that we can find grace and healing for our souls. Father, we commit this day to you. We commit this time to you. We ask, Father, that you would bind up our wounds and help us to heal. We pray this in the powerful and the wonderful and the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in Jesus' name.